Welcome in to College Basketball Recruiting Weekly, and this week's show is going to be geared exclusively to the upcoming NBA draft cycle. Now, I know the NBA draft doesn't happen until June, but we've already had plenty of NBA draft news. The Ignite uh, has already opened up their season. NBA scouts were in full force. Uh, the NB NBL, I think it is, over there in Australia is drawing a ton of uh, eyeballs early on in the season. So with college basketball right around the corner, we've got to set the stage for what is to come. Now, we're going to talk about a few different things in this show. We're going to talk about the draftables, which is my comprehensive list of, NB of all NBA prospects. Uh, we're going to talk about that versus the concepts of mocks and big boards. We're going to talk about this year's draft class in particular, whether it is as bad as advertised, quite frankly, or if there is some little bit of secret strength to it. We're going to talk about some of the biggest names. And then, as I said, we're going to circle back to some of those top prospects outside of college basketball, because that's going to be particularly relevant uh, in this draft cycle. So joining me in this endeavor, I've got CBS Sports, Kyle Boone, who runs the CBS Sports uh, NBA Draft Mock Draft, and Travis Branham from 24-7 Sports, who runs the 24-7 Sports Big Board. So we all have kind of our unique piece of content that, that fills up the, the draft cycle from a variety of different perspectives. All right, fellas, we're going to start here. So last year, when I came aboard and, and started working in the draft and, and wanted to do it in a way that wasn't... Um, it was different than than what you all were doing and what people what other people and was different from what people and other outlets were doing i started by polling 10 nba executives all the way from general managers down to scouts and i asked them a variety of questions but the the biggest theme was how is draft coverage different from what happens behind the scenes and i specifically asked about mock drafts because that's how so much of draft coverage kind of comes out. And 10 out of 10 told me that they don't start ranking their prospects until after the first of the year. Um, some even told me that they wait until March. And again, this is 10 different programs. And this is a direct quote. I'm going to read it to you. I've got a few of them. But one uh, high-ranking front office person personnel member told me, It'd be very premature to do a board at this point in the year. If any NBA team does a board, it's almost amateurish. And this was in October of 2022. So how we go about it is doing tiers. And basically, that's what we emulated with the draftables, where we kind of put guys in buckets to start, where we have uh, potential lottery picks, potential first round picks, potential second round picks, and then potential guys who could make you know one of the, the camps uh, to, to play their way into draft consideration in the postseason. That list is very fluid, and, and it gets to be very fluid. Uh, it gets to be even more fluid over the course of the year. You guys are are doing your 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 big boards and your mock drafts, and so I just want to talk about kind of I want to start from here. Why the purpose of each initiative? Because I think we've got everybody covered along kind of the gamut of what you could be interested in. So Boone, I'm going to start with you because I think you've already had two mock drafts out. I think I mocked you on Twitter for it, um, but like, Absolutely. what what is the what is the rationale for doing a mock? Um, when was it? When did you first, did it come out? Like the night after the draft? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sometime in July, um, and I've since I think I've done a separate one since then. So okay. So and I mean I know the answer, but like, what what's the rationale for doing a mock that early? Because every every outlet every outlet does it. Yeah. 
so first of all, um, I would say the obvious answer, which is that it is my job. Um, people love to click on mock drafts. They love to see there where is. players are projected. They love to see which player is my team going to get next year. It's the excitement of the unknown, right? So um, that I think drives a lot of attention. It drives a lot of interest. And as a result, if there's interest, um, I, I think our bosses are happy whenever we feed the beast, so to speak. And so, yeah, I, th I think there's um, there's a work concept that, of course, there's going to be interest. Of course, I would be glad to fill that interest, to fill that void um, and projecting, doing that with mocks, doing that with big boards um, is um, is an easy way to do that. And, and I think for me personally, as an evaluator, it's a good exercise for me because each mm. time I'm going through this, I'm thinking, okay, where do I have Justin Edwards? Where do I have Izan Amansa? What uh, what positions am I projecting where? So it gives me a good idea not only of where do I have prospects, but also which prospects am I matching up with which team? Um, which positions do I project as strengths in a class versus weaknesses? How do yeah. I see kind of the college prospects, the non-college prospects? Everything kind of shifting into place over the next few months. Um, it's a, it's a good exercise for me. And I will, I will just add on top of that Fink, Um, you talked to an executive who said it's kind of amateurish. That's actually for, not, not for media outlet, but for, for an yes. NBA team to have a, to, to have a board, to be clear. Of course. Yeah. Yes. However, uh, I would consider myself an amateur that may be my middle name. And so going along with that theme, uh, I feel like I just have to play into that. So, uh, it, it, it is more almost a benefit of me and also the fact that readers just eat this stuff up. And I think it's really entertaining just in general content wise. I, I think that's the general gist of it is it's a reflection of what, what the readers want, but Trav, I will, I will give you uh, an opportunity to add to that or give your own perspective. Cause I know your first big board is coming out in, in just about two weeks. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, what's different between us and especially with an NBA team um, and producing a big board so early on is, we frankly are way more familiar with the majority of these kids entering the season. NBA teams are able to go into high school gyms only a handful of times throughout the entire year. And during, or I would should say, in those gaps in between those events, they're not really following the high school space like we are. We are out nearly uh, two, three times a month uh, seeing these kids, following them, majority of them from the time that they're freshmen. So we've seen... We've laid the foundation of the evaluations from an early age and watched their trajectory and watched how they've developed over four years entering college. So we have a bit of a leg up in that regard, just how much we have seen them. The uh, I would say we have a bit uh, of a, a long head start on the information process as well. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to producing that big board, uh, yes, it's already premature. Like the fact that I'm coming out with one on October 17th, I believe is the day. Uh, so put that on your calendars. But as I'm already brainstorming and trying to gather the intel, this is the hardest draft class I think I've ever had to come across in terms of ranking. The talent gap is so minute. It's so small and narrow. I want to start uh, at the 15th and, pick. Can and, we do that? Can we just force yeah, the first 14? And we can get into that here throughout the show. Of We really are going to have to adjust – uh, our perspective on this draft class. Not all number one draft picks are created equal, and we have to have an understanding of that going into this draft class. 
Um, but anyway, just and all that to say is we have a bit of a leg up and a head start in terms of what these NBA teams are going to be trying to accomplish over the next three months. They're just now getting out into practices, going to be going to these pro days, gathering all this information that, frankly, we, again, have had uh, a bit of a head start on for over four years. So um, that's kind of the reason for why we produce it so early on uh, here at 24-7 Sports. I, I think that's that's spot on. And I think just to – you know, I, I'm trying to imagine what a viewer might be thinking as they're watching this. They're saying, well, wait a minute, you know, the NBA scouts can go to the various events now. They can see more than ever before. And that's true. Um, but, Trav, you and I both know, like, it is – it's not like they're going in with a whole lot of context. I mean, we are at, like, the very first stages of, oh, who's that guy? It's like, yeah, that's Ron Holland. You know, it's like it's – um, they call you that's before not an exaggeration. Event. I mean, like, no. that's that's literally where we're where we're at. So, and I think your point about this being the reason why why I think this is relevant this year in particular is to piggyback off of what your point was is like this class is is weak. I'll say it like it, it's it's a weak class. That doesn't mean that that there aren't going to be some prospects that emerge or players that hit later on. But right now, this projects as a very weak class. To your point, it also makes it a very difficult one to project. And history is ripe with examples of prospects that were slated to be, you know, this time of year or after, you know, Legends Classic or something, and they they have a good game, and all of a sudden, like, um, you know, Trevor Keels is going to be a lottery pick, and he gets mm-hmm. kind of stuck to that evaluation. And there's so many guys like this. In fact, I'm gonna. I'm going to read to you another quote I had from last year. And again, this is from a different, but another high ranking NBA executive. He said to me, and again, this is a year ago. He said, let's be honest. Nobody had Jalen Williams in the top 30 at this time last year. JD Davison, Patrick Baldwin, Peyton Watson were supposed to be lottery picks. Then it was going to be Trevor Keels and Kendall Brown. That stuff was all premature. Um, Now, whether or not I see this, Trav's got a slight smile, and I hear him him saying he, well, there weren't lottery picks on my board. But um, my thought here is that this year in particular, kind of projecting, you know, like Boone. I think you had like Castle and Stephen Castle in your top five, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's like, you know, you're gonna like him more than others. You're taking a flyer on him, but it's gonna be a scenario. I feel like all of this should come with a caveat. We're like, hey, kids don't make draft decisions based on what we're doing here. I mean, like Boone, you, you said it, it's like, I mean, you, I, I wouldn't have called you an amateur. I know how hard you, you work at it, but it's like this, don't take this to the bank. Don't base your, don't base your NBA stock on it, please. And I feel like all of this stuff should, should be done with that caveat, especially this year. Um, Either of you have anything to add to that before we start talking about this year in particular? Yeah, I would, I'll just add that, um, you know, on, on Castle specifically, if you want to talk about kind of projecting ahead and maybe thinking outside the box, doing exercises this early, like the big board, like the mock draft, for me personally, like during my process, when I'm trying to evaluate prospects, when I'm trying to project prospects, it's good for me to not only put pen to paper, it's good to go through the exercise. It's good to feel like, okay, I, I have a pretty good idea of what this class looks like. It's, it's actually better for me when I look back in six months and say, hey, why in the world did I have Izan Almansa top 10 on my board? Or why did I have Steven Castle um, number five? On, so 
uh, putting it down now and knowing where my headspace was and then in six months saying, okay, I got this right because Tyrese Proctor, he had the size, he had the opportunity, he had the playmaking, like that was a hit. I was right on that. Or thinking, well, Tyrese Proctor had a great situation, but you know, maybe he's not the shooter that I thought he was going to develop into. And so um, for me at, personally, like it's, this is a process for us, just like it is NBA teams, just like it is for you guys um, going through this and thinking through projecting ahead. What can we get right? What can we maybe get ahead of? And what, what are we going to be wrong about? And, and being kind of flexible during that process uh, for me, I think is most important because I have had a tendency to be kind of strong headed and okay, this guy, I know he's going to be a top 10 pick. Kendall Brown, for example, I was still on him. Were you a Kendall Brown guy? I was a Kendall Brown guy, like hand up. And <laughs> so I have to learn to be nimble and be open to more information and knowing that, okay, you know, maybe I was wrong on this guy. Maybe, you know, the, the, the tools that he has are enticing, uh, but maybe he's not the same prospect that I thought he was coming into college. Or that his backup was. That's the greatest draft story of all time. Everybody's like, Kendall Brown, Kendall Brown. It's like, no, it's the freshman who – it's the other freshman who comes off the bench who backs him up who's going to be the lottery pick. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. being flexible and I think having an open mind during the process and knowing that it is a process I think is, is most important for me and I think for, for fans and for prospects alike. All right. Yeah. I love it. I'll, I'll just piggyback on that real quick. Um, you have to understand evaluating is fluid, um, mm -hmm. no matter the, the time frame, whether they're in high school uh, up to now and as we're going to be watching throughout the year. Um, we have to keep watching these prospects and, and the trajectory, what we're going to be projecting them as. There's a lot of different variables that can come into play throughout the season on why kids develop or why they don't develop and how that fluctuates. And you can't be fixated on a previous opinion and kind of have that set into stone. That's where a lot of evaluators go wrong is you make an opinion, make a strong stand early on, and you just aren't going to budge on it. Um, you have to be uh, willing. Uh, some people like to call it humility in evaluating, uh, just having that humility of saying, you know what, I was wrong here. Maybe I was a little, I was right there, but there are different variables that come into play throughout the evaluation process, especially when they get on a college campus mm -hmm. and how much different adversity and scenarios and things that are introduced into this new environment uh, come into play. You really get to learn a lot more uh, about prospects over the next nine months. And people like to look back on our rankings and judge us uh, as they come out of high school for it. And I mean, you by, I mean, we are frankly handcuffed in that regard of yeah. our, our evaluation comes to an end when they graduate high school. Right. We don't get this extra year of evaluation. So people get to see what these kids do in college and all these different scenarios and look back. But again, evaluating is just fluid. So let me ask you this. How bad is this draft class? Trav, go ahead. How bad right. is it? To be honest, it's arguably it's not good. It's the not good. worst we have seen. I'm trying to think back to the New Orleans Noel year, which was the 20. 13 draft class, if I remember correctly. So we're looking at the worst in a decade. Um, when, we're when we're talking about the number one prospect, the number one pick in this year's class, as of this moment, what we're projecting more than likely is a long-term role player, probably a starter who plays good minutes at the NBA level and can contribute to winning. But we are not talking about a franchise player like you talk about 
especially over the last four draft classes uh, with Victor Wembenyama last year, uh, guys like Anthony Edwards, Jalen Green, even uh, Evan Mobley. There's so many different guys where you look at one through five. Frankly, that stops this year at number one. You're not talking about a franchise-level player entering this season. We are solely going to be looking at who projects to be the safest uh, long-term player that can contribute as a role guy at the NBA level. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is de-emphasize high upside prospects mm-hmm. and increased emphasis on high floor prospects in this class. Is that a fair interpretation? 100%. All right. Because the Boom. high upside prospects, sorry, I was just going to say no, the high no, upside no. prospects that we're going to be looking at, there's a lot of glaring weaknesses in their game in the track record. Uh, as you look back again, as we've watched these kids throughout four years of high school, the track record uh, doesn't elevate their floor to a place where it's like, yeah, I'm willing to bet on this kid fulfilling his ultimate upside at this point. You know what cracks me up about this, and Boone, I'm, I'm coming to you next, but like, People talk about, like like you said, we'll get crushed for rankings, whether it's high school or, or whatever. The NBA guys get it wrong all the time, and they're spending millions. Like, you, you talked about 2013. Anthony Bennett, top pick in that draft. Um, then it was Victor Oladipo at two, solid pick. Otto Porto at three. Cody Zeller at four. Alex Len at five. Yikes. Um, you, know who was, you know who was 15? Giannis Antetokounmpo. And it's like 14 teams passed on a generational dude. And so it's like, is there somebody in here? I'll say this. I think if there's somebody like that in this year's class, it's not somebody that we are familiar with yet. Maybe it's somebody abroad like Giannis. um, Because the guys we've seen, I would agree to Travis's point, last year when it came down to picking the number one prospect in high school basketball, we went with the guy with the highest floor for exactly the reason he was saying, and that was Ron Holland. But, but Boone, I will, um, you're, you're the nicest man in America, so I like to try and get you to be negative any chance I get. So how bad do you think this, this draft class is? Oh, this is embarrassing because my answer was, I love this class. And so, <laughs> I, of course, you teed me up to just be like super positive, And I'm like, yeah, I love this class. Let's go. Yeah, I agree. Amazing. I agree totally with Travis and his assessment, which is that there's not a lot of star power. There's not, I don't think, like foundational players at the top of this draft. But I really like the top of this class. I like Justin Edwards. I like Stefan Castle. I, I think Ron Holland is going to be a good NBA player. So, yeah, if you're trying to reset your franchise and you're picking at number one or number two next year, like, Obviously, you'd want to be in the 2023 class where you have Scoot Henderson and, and Victor Wembanyama and Brandon Miller. But I, I do think there's there's going to be some good NBA players come from this class. And I think, as you as you noted at the top, Fink, um, I, I think there's going to be good players who arise this year that maybe yeah. we're not even aware of. And I would just add, too, we do this year in and year out, right? You guys are scouting these prospects. You've scouted these prospects for four years. I've scouted these prospects a year and a half, maybe not nearly as long as you guys, but I'm, I'm very aware of who is draft eligible in this class. And I would, I would think that because of our familiarity with this class, to some extent, we may have some fatigue with this class too, where you know, we're looking back at last year's class and thinking, 
oh, well, how do you compare it to Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller? Or how do you compare it to 2025 where you've got Cooper Flag and, oh, my goodness, this class is going to be amazing. Maybe it's not going to be amazing. But just in general, I think we do get some fatigue. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the optimist in me is, um, of course, probably the, the most amazing. excited. Have, have about nicest man, nicest man in the country. Um, all right, let's talk about the, the, the players in particular then. Um, so, Boone, I'm going to go back to you. Uh, when you take the Wemby jersey off the wall next year, who from the 24 draft might you might you hang on the wall? Like who, in all seriousness, who are the names that you are um, – let's phrase it this way. Who are we – whether you're doing uh, your mock, Travis's big board, or my draftables, what I would call potential lottery candidates, who are some of those? Who are some of those prospects uh, that you're most interested in right now? Well, um, if you look here right next to my Wimby jersey, you'll find the fruit that is the lowest hanging. I will just grab it here. I will take Justin Edwards, who to me I think is the number one prospect in this class right now. Smooth lefty, gonna play at Kentucky. Um, already looks to me like the alpha on this Kentucky team that. Oh, by the way, has like multiple five-star recruits on it. And I'm sure Travis has a good feel of um, the Kentucky prospects on this class, including Justin Edwards. But, you know, the, the shooting that he showed in Canada, um, the playmaking, the ability to take people off the dribble, very excited about his potential. Um, to me, he reminds me of like what we hoped RJ Barrett could become. Hmm. And so I'm really excited about his, his prospects. I think okay. his shooting has developed um, here over the last year or so. And so, yeah, his, his opportunity, I think at Kentucky is going to be pretty big. Um, I'll add Ron, Hall Ron Holland here. Um, he's, he's number two on my board. Um, I don't want to go just down the list here, but you know, this is no, you, you, you're starting in a good place because I'm pretty sure you picked Travis's guy and my guy, uh, <laughs> Travis, am I correct in assuming that, that Justin Edwards has a chance to be uh, number one on your big board in a couple of weeks? These guys are my top two players. Now I go back there, and forth on who I'm actually going there to rank go. number one. And I love that you brought up Justin Edwards, Kyle, because think for the last probably 18 months had to just bear with the reality of me just pounding it in his brain that Justin Edwards is arguably the number one prospect in this class. I absolutely love Justin. Now there are things that uh, are going to come up in the evaluation process on is he really worthy of the number one pick in this class by the end of the year? It could be a no-brainer, um, but he is old for the class, going to be turning 20 this year. Uh, he's got a slender frame, not very long, but he's extremely skilled. He is tough. He has a bit of an alpha mentality. And while people have seen the three-level scoring, I've seen something about him that uh, has always just kind of infatuated. Uh, me about him is his ability to kind of fluidly adjust how he plays throughout a game, depending on the scenario you see him in. There's games you can see him go out there and take over and take over the scoring role and just fill it up. There's also other games where he just operates as a glue guy. He's very smart. He can really pass the basketball. He can rebound and defend, and he's willing and comfortable and in buying into those roles when the time is necessary for that. So there's so much I love about uh, Justin Edwards and his game, but right now, as I'm preparing this board, can't really tell you who my number one is, but number one and number two, those top two names is Justin Edwards and Ron Holland. Okay, we got to take a time out here. So, Fink, 
you've you've been pushing back on this Justin Edwards narrative. No, What's all right. So here, here's, some, here's some con- here's some context. I I fully I actually don't know the answer to this question, but um, Trav, would you have made him number one at the end of last year? Like, if it was if it was the Travis Branham rankings, would Justin have been number one at the end? I think when we had the conversation was I I I think I said a Justin would be my number one. However. I wasn't fighting against yeah. who, if we said it was Ron, like I literally said, I like, I'm not going to fight because I understand both perspectives and I'm so torn on the two. Yeah. I wasn't like, I am t- literally to this day, I'm not taking a strong stance either way as we enter this season. Cause I see so much, uh, I guess projected a little bit more projectability with Ron and the upside with his jump shot. Cause it's not as polished and everything as it is. He's much younger than Justin Edwards. Like there's so many positives and negatives where it's like, I'm just right. Yeah. I'm just right on that fence where I think I told you I was going, I would probably go with Justin Edwards, but at the end of the day, I was not up in arms. I'm going to fight you. uh, If you chose Ron Holland or I think we had Isaiah Collier right there as well. And I mean, he's he's an understandable pick as well. He finished too. So Boone, to answer your question, because I'm not ducking it. What's interesting about this is like, I was actually in Travis's when I was at ESPN. Um, I was in Travis's role, like I was the guy screaming Justin Edwards from the rooftop. <laughs> um, and then you know, and and then when when he made that that transition that came over here, he was already like much higher on the board here. Um, and so uh, yeah, it's not that I'm anti Justin Edwards at all. I just you know, coming out of last summer, I thought Isaiah Collier was, and again, it was always debatable. We, but we were the first one to make Isaiah Collier number one um, because I like the size, I like the toughness, I, I like the passing. As the year went on, I became more and more concerned about his jumper and kind of the lack of elite athletic pop. Um, I still think he's going to be one of the best freshmen in the country this year, and I still think NBA teams are going to be really intrigued. But um, there's some, you know, the shooting he's got to figure out because he's he's not he's not like one of these polarizing um, athletes that you, that you see in NBA stardom at the point guard spot nowadays. Right. So uh, he he's got to be a reliable shooter. Um, but but those were I think those were the three um, guys. Those were our top three prospects in the class. Let me let me phrase it to you this way, guys. Um, any other college freshmen? So let's leave the ignite out of it for now. Any other college freshmen that you are particularly intrigued with, Boone? I'll I'll start with you. Oh, I'll throw I'll throw yeah. it to to Branham here. Um, you can go Castle. I, go Castle. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll go I'll go Castle. Um, I don't I don't want to you know make my brand about you know UConn prospects, but I do love some UConn prospects. Uh, Klingon, who's going to be a sophomore, obviously, I think is in for a big role. Have him in my top five. And then Castle, who I think is pretty interesting, actually have him at number four, which, um, yeah, feels uh, feels a little bit aggressive. Uh, I see he, he finished uh, finished number nine at, uh, at 247. So I, I feel somewhat validated. And while we're here, I would just add, like, the work you guys do at 247 – like we could not do any of our projecting at CBS without you guys. We could not do any of our team previews. We could not do any of our conference previews. We could not do any of our big boards or mock drafts, any of that stuff. Like you guys pounding the pavement, actually recruiting, actually scouting is so, so valuable. Um, and so my, my read on Kyle Boone, everyone, he's as nice of a man off camera as he is on. <laughs> Thank you. 
I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm telling you the truth and people do probably need to hear this because it is really valuable. Um, and so I'll, I'll just say like my read on this class is so just, wait, are you blaming castle on us then? Am I, is that, was that like a reverse actually, psychology? I was blaming it on Branham. If you, if you let me get to, it. I, I think it's Branham's fault. Um, so my read on this class is mostly just from, from what I hear from you guys on the road. And so I like Castle. I like kind of his his prospects, his profile. You know, he's he's got a huge frame at six foot six. I think he can play multiple guard spots. Um, Going to be in a good position at UConn. Obviously, that that system um, has has really produced nice talent at the guard position. So, yeah, you know, those are, those are a few guys that I'm really excited about. Um, again, I, I feel like I'm blaming you guys for uh, some of my preferences and and people that I like. Uh, but yeah, that's like right now it, it's really hard again to project. We're sitting here on October 3rd, right. a lot can change over the next nine months. Um, but yeah, so far, like those are, those are some guys that I think I've noticed. I continue to be like a little bit more high on than maybe the consensus, um, draft community is. Trav, any other college freshmen other than those, those three, I think we've mentioned that you're, you're particularly intrigued about for their NBA. Yeah. That is, that is the best college players, but for their NBA potential? No, I got two uh, that I could see make big jumps, um, honestly, within the first month of the season. One being Elliot Cadeau, uh, reclass from the 2024 class of 2023, going to be at North Carolina this year. Um, when you look at this class, and especially that point guard position, to me, he is every bit in that conversation with Isaiah Colley for the best freshman point guard coming up. Now you look, to me, the biggest difference is gonna be size. Elliot Cadeau is only about six foot, six foot one, so he's a little bit undersized. Isaiah is six foot two, six foot three. Um, Elliot is as good, if not a better passer than Isaiah Collier, and that is saying something. He takes mm -hmm. care of the basketball better, and he's also a bit more dynamic of an athlete and ball handler and how he can change speeds, gears, keep guys off balance, and he's a better shooter. Uh, you look at the statistics. I sent, I sent Fink a text a couple of weeks ago. I just said player A or player B, and I listed out a bunch of stats. And it was I don't respond to these text phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trap. It I know it's a trap. I'm not playing. Yeah. yeah, and it was Elliot Cadeau's numbers. And I sent it to the whole team, and the unanimous was – player B, which happened to be Elliot Cadeau. And frankly, I agree. The assist to turnover ratio, honestly, everything in every single statistical category was uh, superior for Elliot Cadeau. The only other, only thing that he lacks, again, is the size. So that Can is- I, do, I know you got another guy. Can I jump in with one point on that? And then we'll go back to your yes. other guy. This is, this is my Absolutely. question. There is a big track record of reclassified players and point guards in particular that have failed to live up to those expectations. Now I know he was always older for the class um, and he got there in time to do summer school and stuff like that. So theoretically he shouldn't be that far behind, but that is something that's something that's impacted my line of thinking around him. Just looking at the point guards who have reclassed and, and, and had it not work out for, I mean, there, there's a pattern there. So I I'm, and that's not, that's not specific to, to Elliot. I don't have a knock on Elliot. I agree with, with basically everything you just said. But I, it's a very interesting trend that's that's pretty clear by the data. So I, I'm very curious to see if he breaks that trend or not. All right, who's your second? Yeah, quick, quick rebuttal on that. I think Elliot Godot is one of potentially one of the exceptions because one, he is older for the class, and his reclassification isn't the same as a Gigi Jackson. When Gigi came out of high school and he reclassified, 
there was a lot of gaps in that kid's game mm -hmm. where we knew he was very strong likelihood he was really going to struggle throughout the year, especially being the focal point on that South Carolina team. And that played out very visibly uh, and publicly for everybody to see last season. Elliot Cadeau's way more yeah. polished, way more ready. Physically, he's ready. Um, his mindset, everything seems that he is ready for this jump. Um, so that's one reason why I'm higher on him. The next one, another guy that Fink got fed up with me talking about last year, Deshaun Harris-Smith at Maryland. Oh, God. Um, I think he is one that has such a high floor in how he impacts the game in every single way and how elite of a competitor he is. I, I think based on what we saw over the last year and a half of most of the – a lot of these kids, frankly – kind of plateauing and stagnating in their development. He was one that always had a high floor, but he kept finding ways to get better. Now he wasn't making these significant jumps that we saw, but he kept making those 1% uh, improvements in his game with his jump shot and, and how he impacts the game. So um, I think how he impacts defensively. And again, I think he's a combo guard. Fink's gonna get sick and okay tired. With, I'm he's okay a, with combo. Yeah, and so how he can pass and facilitate, defend, rebound, and now his improving ability to make shots from three. I think as we watch this season, and most of these kids, the weaknesses in their game kind of uh, continue to be exposed. And if a lot of these kids don't make significant jumps, which we haven't seen them make over the last year, I think Deshaun Harris-Smith is just going to keep chipping away, just like he has for the last year and find himself up towards the middle of this first round, potentially. I mean, it's, it might be crazy to say now, but, I mean, if these kids don't develop, I mean, it wouldn't be crazy to see him crack the lottery. And he's he's got he's got an opportunity in Maryland because he's going to get to play with the ball in his hands. Like, you know, I saw him again at USA Basketball over the summer, and it was like, okay, when he's on the wing and, you know, it's – when he has the ball in his hands, he has an opportunity to look a lot more dynamic. I think he's going to look – I think he's going to have that chance at Maryland. And also the 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 emphasis they put on skill development on a daily basis I think could really benefit him um, because he was he was so left-hand dominant and the shooting had to come. But, again, agree with everything you said uh, about the competitiveness and the two-way impact. All right, sophomores. Um and I think we're all going to start with the same two here. Boone, I, I, you already mentioned – I think you mentioned both of them, actually. But um, Donovan Klingon and Tyrese Proctor, to me, are the two most interesting NBA prospects in the sophomore class. Now, I think Kyle Filipowski may be the best college basketball player in the sophomore mm -hmm. class. Um, but how do we – anybody else I'm missing, or, or how do we kind of like – you know, qualify that that conversation about who's, who's the most intriguing NBA prospect in that group. That's that's how I have it ranked here. Um, I have <clears throat> Tyrese Proctor number eight on the big board. Um, excuse me, I have Donovan Klingon number five, Proctor at number eight, um, and then Kyle Filipowski uh, at number ten. So to me, I think there's a clear kind of big three of okay. uh, second second year players who are the most intriguing kind of long-term NBA prospects. Um, 
there's you know some other guys like Terrence Arsenault from from Houston who I think is pretty interesting. He's a guy. The who draft came community loved that dude last year. Like every they they yeah. like everybody was talking about how stupid us high school evaluators were, and he was going to be one and done and this and that. And I was like, right. and I'm like questioning myself. I'm like, man, did we miss on this guy? And then he was <laughs> kind of exactly what we projected, but. Yeah. Yeah. So he's pretty interesting to me. Um, I, someone who I think because I followed you guys, I was very in on him as a freshman. Yeah. He was, he was still kind of a little bit raw, but has really grown into his body and filled out. And obviously at Houston, I think is in a, is in a great system. Um, Trey Alexander, an older prospect, um, college prospect that I'm intrigued by, I believe he's going to be a junior. Um, yeah, he's going to be at Creighton. Um, you know, Ryan Nimpart is gone now. I think he will play a little bit more on the ball. He's developed a lot as kind of an on-ball playmaker. I'm so excited to uh, to see him. He's a guy who, again, for whatever reason, um, I've been higher on him than most throughout the uh, throughout the, the draft process the last year or so. And um, had him as a first-round prospect in last year's class, obviously decided to come back to college. Um, but think he has a, a chance to be like a you know a late lottery pick uh, first round pick um with uh, with a good season at Creighton just the opportunity that he has and and the the size the athleticism just checks a lot of boxes as a kind of a combo guard who could do a number of, of different things Trav anybody to add to that discussion or to expand yeah I mean Tyrese Proctor's number one returning sophomore in my opinion when it comes to my big board and where he I think he will again I haven't built it all the way out but he's probably going to be the highest ranked returner coming back um I love the size and frankly when you look at him compared to the rest of the point guards in this class um there's a good chance he's number one and this is a kid that was a part of this recruiting class originally and we've talked about it uh previously had Tyrese stayed in this recruiting class there's a good chance he would have exited as a number one prospect in this yep. class. Um, yep. So he's got a bit of a year head start on all these guys. And we saw the incredible development of him, and how much uh, as he got settled into the new system at in the United States and at Duke, just how much improvement he made over the last year. And now I just think as the game slows down, the jump shot's going to keep coming with it. Um, but next to him, Khalil Ware uh, hmm. going transfer to Indiana. As high of upside and as much talent as anybody in this draft class. Um, it's Can just we a say this is the last call for Khalil Ware. Like last call, are you coming? Last call. You know, like in exiting high school, we knew all all the yeah. concerns and all the caution flags that you had to have when making that initial evaluation, projecting what you'd be last year. And honestly. He's probably was exactly what we expected to be last year. We knew the upside was immense and he could become this, but it was more than likely he was going to struggle and he was going to have to really kind of face a lot of adversity to figure things out. So now he's falling flat on his face a little bit and now he has a new environment. How is he going to respond? Is he going to take this adversity and, and, and channel it to, to make these significant strides and really, uh, Put himself into the game, be more aggressive on both ends of the floor, and play a winning brand of basketball. Because again, seven foot plus seven foot wingspan, fluid athlete. He can step out, make shots from three, great hands and touch, great rim protector when he wants to be. Can switch out on the perimeter. Uh, and honestly, an underrated thing about his game that he showed in high school is he's actually a really talented passer. 
Um, so he has all the tools, all the talent you could possibly want in the world. And it's frankly, you could say it's up to Mike Woodson. You could have said it was up to Dana Allman, but to me, it is up to Khalil Ware. He can be as good as he wants to be in this uh, upcoming season. Um, so Dana Allman tried be- to play him. Like go back to like that. Like they they were starting him. They were trying to play him. Like he had a he had an opportunity and like. And he lost it. He fell out. He yeah. went from their starting center to falling out of the rotation. Yeah, just for a quick example for the people watching, like I'll never forget. Uh, I watch, I was one of the first people to kind of watch him, and when I first saw him, he blew me away. The way he impacted the game in various ways. But then the next time you go watch him, barely you you wouldn't even know he's out on the court except he's seven foot with a seven foot whatever wingspan. You just can't help but look at him and be like, why are you not impacting this game? And so. So the last time I saw him in terms of his AAU season, it was one of those games. There were some blue blood coaches going to watch him, and all he did was walk free or three point line to three point line. Didn't do anything to assert himself into the game, and that was the story of his entire high school career and what we could have expected out of last year. So um, now that he's faced the adversity um, and heard what all the critics have had to say, it's up to him. Um, and I'm going to be closely watching and monitoring, and uh, as will majority NBA teams, see and how he responds also, this year. He's going to get pushed at Indiana too, because if he does the same thing he does last year, uh, Indiana's going to be like, "All right, Malik Rennell, let's go." And and the uh, you know the transfers they got they got options, like they don't have to play Kalal Ware, which I think is is really fascinating. All right, last thing I want to ask you guys about last year's NBA draft. Uh, four of the first five picks were not college basketball players. Wemby went one. Um, Brandon went two from Alabama, Scoot went three from Ignite, and the Thompsons went four and five from OTE. Um, after that, it was Bilal Kulabali who went seven after Anthony Black. So four of the first five, five of the top seven came from outside of college basketball. My own opinion, hypothesis at this point, is that this could be another draft where we're going to see a lot of players from outside um, college basketball be picked. We've already talked about Ron Holland with Ignite. The other player is uh, Modest Buzelis. And, and to be sure, there's there's more than two guys of interest at Ignite. We're going to have more on them on, a, on another show. Um, and then in in Australia, you've got Alex Saar, who was, um, you know, really getting a great start to the season, getting rave reviews. But the NBL over there, guys, like they got a lot of interesting names. Um, I, I don't mean to Boone, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I mean they've got names that like fans from the US are going to be familiar with. SAR may not be the norm, but but you've got, you know, um Trenton Flowers over there, you got AJ Johnson, you've got um uh what's that? Bobby Clintman. Bobby Clintman, yeah. And and who was the point guard, uh, old NBA Academy guy who who was um He's over there now as well. Uh, Stumped. AJ Tom, Johnson. Oh, no, I said AJ. Right. Yeah. But my point is, like, there's going to be more attention on that league than than ever before. So, so Boone, like, who do you like over there? How, how much yeah. have you seen of SAR? Like, the, you know, what do you think about, about the, the international and non-college basketball influence in this year's draft? 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. As a as someone who started covering college basketball at CBS. We're all shocked you have a positive uh, interpretation of it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This is I, I gotta I gotta switch up my brand or something. Um I'm gonna come on like with a bad attitude next time. No, 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 we need you to offset Trav and I, please. Um, so but yeah, I, I like I actually I like it. And as someone who covered college basketball, like to start my career and now I'm doing like mostly college basketball with a lot of NBA draft. Um, I always got the question of like, well, is is the NBL gonna be the end of college basketball? Is G League Ignite gonna kill college basketball? Is overtime elite gonna kill college basketball? Well, like the truth is there is so much talent across the globe in basketball that all of these places can produce NBA talent. And all of these places, um, I, I think, will continue to produce talent, including from non-college prospects. Like you look at 2021, three of the top 10 were uh, from you know non-college avenues, Jalen Green, Giddy, uh, jo- uh, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, Alperin Shingun was in that class. Mm. 2022, two uh, in the lottery were non-college. Dyson Daniels, Usman Jang. Uh, this past year, obviously, five of the top seven were non-college. Now look at 2024. You have Holland, you have Buzelis, you have Sar, Almansa, uh, Darlin, Tyler Smith, uh, AJ Johnson, Clintman. Like there's, I didn't even mention Rasatcher. There's like eight, nine, ten players who could end up being first round picks in in next year's class from like the non-college path. So I think it's good for basketball. Um, It, it forces fans, I think, to open up their, their minds. And, you know, because I think for a long time we were so close minded in that, like, okay, well, if you're a Euro, you're soft. Or if you're, if you didn't come and play at Kentucky or at Kansas, like, well, how are they going to translate? Well, the truth is like, a lot of these international players or even G League Ignite, Overtime Elite, it's a different situation. You have to scout them within a different context, but all of these guys can play. And um, so I'm excited about this this upcoming class. Booz Ellis, I, I think, is is pretty interesting. He's like 6'9", 6'10", maybe 6'11", um, kind of like a combo wing slash center. Very fascinating prospects. I, I think people have cooled on him um a little bit in 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 past months but when you're picking at the top of the draft you're thinking about well, he, like got, long, he got he got put on time. top of he got put on top of it this is another example he got put on top of the the mock draft and then he opted yep. out of hoop summit because of it i mean that's yep. that's what happened i yep. mean so i i think he's gonna be interesting um the the, the race for Number one in 2024 feels just completely wide open between Holland, between Buzelis, uh, obviously some some college prospects as well. I think Sar could be in that conversation. Sar yeah. absolutely will be in that conversation. Um, was really impressed with what I saw from him when Perth played against G League Ignite. In fact, uh, I think ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni mentioned um, in an article here within the last week. Um, some rumblings that you know maybe maybe Sar should be you know a worthy contender to be the number one pick. So I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I, I wouldn't have him, yes yes in this class. Like I, I would not have him number one right now, um, just because I got to ride with uh, with Branham here. I got to ride for my boy Justin Edwards. But I do think in this class Sar is a very strong prospect who is definitely on the rise and uh, the non college class. Uh, for 2024 like people are going to be having to work overtime to watch 
players in this class because a lot of lottery talents, first round talents are going to be playing elsewhere this season outside of college. All right, I got to wrap this up quick, but Taron Armstrong was the point guard who's also over there, there that is yep. of interest. He was on my draftable board last year. Uh, Trav, I'm going to end with you, and I don't know if you saw these games, but A.J. Johnson and Trenton Flowers, uh, they struggled to start their their international experience. Trenton Flowers um, started to uh, play the point. I think that lasted a game and a half because he, <laughs> he got ripped several times and – from what I've heard, it was, you know, fairly frustrating for, for people watching. Um, I'll leave it at that. And, um, you know, and, and A.J. Johnson, just the physicality of it um, seemed to be a little too much for him. Now, again, it's only October. These We're talking about games that were played in September. We got a long way to go. But it's an interesting point because those are two, those are two American kids. They're not, you know, international kids who we don't know about. Those are two kids that chose to play professionally abroad rather than go to college basketball. And I think what, what we saw last week are at least signs of like, hey, that's not easy either because, you know, you're not playing 20-year-olds. You're playing 27-year-olds. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the impact it has on, on, on their stocks. But it's, it's one of the reasons why I think that league in particular is so interesting this year. Because not only do you have Saar, who's a who's a potential lottery pick and a name that this year is being talked about among the top of the class, but you've got two prominent high school kids who chose to go over there and thus and didn't get off to the start that they would like. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Anything else on on Flowers? Because I know you were on top of on top of him all of last year. No, I would just say that to me, it's it was honestly expected that they would go over and struggle, both him and Flowers, or both Flowers and Johnson, um, yeah. having watched them again for the last two, three years. Um, they're, they're exiting high school in a similar development state um, in terms of immensely talented, but a lot of areas in their game that they had to address and develop and improve on with their habits on the court, uh, their shot selections. Um, AJ, I would say, was further along in knowing who he was as a player um, and how he could impact the game, his uh, ability to score the basketball from all three levels. The one thing about Johnson coming out was he was extremely thin, and we knew he was going to need time yeah. to really compete at a level like that and also just continue to develop his efficiency. He wasn't always the most efficient and consistent players in high school, but the talent's all there, and he's a really intriguing long-term prospect. And he's been, I would say, even though he struggled his senior year, if you watched him, um, even though he struggled, there was a lot of small areas in his game that he was making adjustments and improving, and specifically on the defensive end of the floor. <laughs> Coming into his senior year, he, he was a non-defender, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, hold on, sorry. Uh, he was a non-defender entering his senior year, but he really started adjusting and, and kind of hone in on that end of the floor. Now, Flowers, he was one. Uh, he's never been a point guard. Well, that was nonsense. Not, he's not a point guard. Never was. It was nonsense. Um, and, yeah, and so it's just a learning curve. When was that going to happen? And, honestly, it's a positive that it happened this soon. He goes down there and it hits him in the face. All right, we're done with this. We're, you're not a point guard. And the thing is, his when he was playing with Combine, and I would say honestly for the last 18 months of his high school career, 
there was a lot of improvements he made as a cutter, as a rebounder, just being active, using his size and athleticism to his advantage to impact yeah. him as a rebounder, defender, cutter, and all these little just act way I would just call it just being active, just mm. using your tools to be active to impact the game. Um, and now it's time for him to just lean into that. You and lean into that. Sure. Yes, and that's what's going to be my next point. Develop the jumper. Be reliable shooting off the catch. You don't need to really make shots off the pool. That's going to be other right. people's jobs for the most part. Very rarely will that be called upon for you. Make shots off the catch. Be a great defender. Have, play with energy. Compete and start to learn because I got, that was one of the big uh, kind of uh, things that was exposed with him was his lack of ability or uh, lack of feel of rotating and knowing where he needs to be on defense. Um, so start leaning into all those areas. Make your job easier for yourself, and you will make a lot. And you will, I should say, you will rise up the boards much faster. So, frankly, yes, he went in there. The point guard experiment was a disaster. However, it's good that it happened this soon, and now you can really lean into all these different areas of the game that you can impact winning and, and really help your stock. Boone, you see the impact you've had on us. We're taking positive, you know, we're, we're thinking positive, turning negatives into positives here at 24-7 Sports. We're, we're just feeding off your example. Um, all kidding aside, you can see kind of the passion all three of us have for talking about the draft. We're, we're still eight months away. Uh, college basketball practice is just starting. But the reason I wanted to do this is both on 24-7 Sports and on this show, we're going to start previewing college basketball and we're going to part of that is going to be talking about the best NBA prospects in each major conference. Um, and this is going to really be the beginning of the 24 seven sports NBA draft cycle. As we said, Boone's already got a couple of of, um, of uh, mocks out Travis's uh, big board. I think he said Tuesday, October 17th. You will see my draftables list start to come out conference by conference beginning next week. And uh, we're just going to start to get what I love about what we're doing is all three of us have something a little unique. And if you're an NBA draft fan, you've got everything covered here. You've got me trying to give you like an idea of, of what what an NBA what an NBA board might look like. You've got the, the mocks from Boone. You've got the big boards from Travis taking into account everything we've learned from the high school ranks. Um, and so that's why I thought this was a really appropriate place to kind of start this NBA draft cycle. So thank you both for your time. Um, make sure that you visit 247sports.com and the 247 Sports channel and, of course, cbssports.com and CBS Sports HQ for all of your NBA draft and college basketball and recruiting coverage and needs.